Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and thank you for listening. Today's podcast is an excellent listen. We have Gardner Payne of Payne Boxing, and he tells some great stories about his time in politics as a lobbyist and how he was able to take some of the things he learned lobbying and turn it into a triumphant career as a boxing manager. Now, I believe we've had some great guests in the past telling some great stories on the podcast. Life lessons and stories of encouragement for everyone. I need followers, and I'm not too proud to beg. Please tell your family and friends about the podcast. If you aren't completely satisfied, that's okay. Tell someone you hate to listen to the podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, or share us on social media. Hey, I could be asking you for money, and that would be awkward. Instead, the next time you are browsing social media, click a button or mention us. No money, no real effort needed. The Chris Williams Podcast Hour on social media can be found on Instagram and Twitter at the Chris Will Pod and on Facebook, the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. It is election time, and hopefully your candidate won. Who isn't tired of, my name is Pete the Candidate, and I support this message. Oh my goodness, stop already. I'm not here to talk politics, but I do ask, regardless of your political affiliation, religious beliefs, race, or even music choices, please treat others with a common sense of decency. Now, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I love that quote. It's one of my favorite sayings. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I'm asking you, don't intend to do something. Don't plan to do something for someone. Don't aim to do something. Do like Nike and just do it. Stop the hate and just treat others like you want to be treated. Think about that. Treat others like you want to be treated. You want peace? Be peaceful to others. You want respect? Respect others. You want to be taken seriously? Take other people seriously. It goes on and on. But you, me, we, I, we all need to look inside and know whatever you're wishing for starts with my actions. You're just one person, but we all make a difference in this world. Whether it's negative or positive, it starts with me. It starts with you. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour.
Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Today, I welcome one of the top up-and-coming managers in the sport of boxing. He is the three-time North Carolina Manager of the Year and is the man behind the new Pain Boxing Series, which continues with its second installment on November 7th in Rock Hill, South Carolina. He is a fellow NC State alum who bleeds the red and white just like me. It is with great privilege I get to introduce to you one of the nicest people in boxing, a true leader, a man who cares about the sport of boxing, and the men who sacrifice their lives, their fighters. Please welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, Gardner Payne of Payne Boxing and the Payne Boxing Series. Gardner, welcome. Hey, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate that introduction, too. That was, that was fantastic. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be oh, here. Not- Hi, I appreciate you coming, and we're welcome to have you on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. And again, congratulations on the Payne Boxing Series. You must be more than a little excited about this series. I am excited and nervous. I mean, it was, uh, you know, TYC Sports. They have like 20 million households they reach, uh, mostly in Central and South America, but they're aggressively growing here in the United States. And they came to us – in like May of this year, and said, hey, we want to start the Payne Boxing Series, I think in large part because we have some of the best boxers um, in Argentina signed to Payne Boxing. So we did our first show. We reached out. We you know, had to get through the, the, the red tape of it all. Had our first show August 15th in Daytona Beach, which is a huge success given all the challenges and hurdles we had to go around with uh, COVID. And now we're getting ready to do our second show, November 7th in Rock Hill. And I'm very excited about it. I said there's a lot of excitement in this area about it. I think the turnout is going to be good, great, uh, rather given the number of people that we're limited to. But, man, that facility that we're having it at the Rock Hill Sports and Event Center is second to none. I had no idea there was something that nice right around here. So I think that could be a home for really – for world-class championship boxing in this area. I'm excited. We're the first group to put on a fight there, so we're really excited about it. Okay. Now, how did you guys find the Rock Hill Convention Center? So, oddly enough, my son was playing AAU basketball, and the coach said, hey, we're going to have practice at this new facility in Rock Hill, and I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, hey, this is Rock Hill, a smaller town. You know, I figured it was some gym, some local high school gym or some community gym and then when we got there it blew me away they have i don't know they, may, they must be 20 courts basketball and volleyball but you know the volleyball nets you know descend from the ceiling electronically that's how nice it is and i was walking around there's um concession stands everywhere it reminds me of speaking of nc state like if you went to the carmichael student gym all the courts are there but just nicer with matt with concession stands and and uh, really nice bathrooms and, and everything. So, but in one corner, I was walking and I saw what looked like a, an arena. And I went over and looked at it, and it was like this it's this bowl with a basketball court right in the middle, seats right on top of the basketball court. You know, just picture Cameron Indoor Stadium and looked something like that. And I mean, I was blown away that it was right here in Rock Hill. So I immediately, when I dropped my son, I immediately went and found the manager or the the, the person who ran the facility. And we started talking about boxing and how that would be such a great venue for boxing, especially with the fans right on top of the ring. 
And we oh, started nice. from there. And then when this when we entered, this is before I even had heard about the pain boxer series. So when this the series came along, I was like, you know, this is a this needs to be a place that we look at. I think it could be a great home for boxing. Oh wow, that that is awesome. But you know, Rock Hill is, is it's not just basketball. Rock Hill has gone all in on being a sports destination. They have uh, state of the art soccer fields. They have a huge BMX facility, uh, an Olympic cycling facility. You know, the uh, Panthers are building their practice facility there. So the city government there is putting a lot of money into making Rock Hill a sports destination. Okay, okay. And then what, as far as proximity from Charlotte, because obviously if you grow this thing to where you want it to be, people are going to have to fly in. So how far are you from Charlotte Airport or the city of Charlotte? So we t- it's 20 minutes door-to-door from the airport to the, to the, um, to the Coliseum, which is – not bad. I mean, you can't even get from Charlotte to other parts of Charlotte. I mean, from the Charlotte airport to other parts of Charlotte. <laughs> so it's just like it's, it's basically South Charlotte. It's, if you go past Carowinds, it's one of the first two exits right past Carowinds. So it's it's very close, very close to Charlotte. In fact, like I said, it's probably closer to Charlotte Airport than the University of Charlotte, the University area would be, or um, you know, the west western part of Charlotte, or the eastern okay. part of Charlotte rather. Okay. All right. So, and then you can eventually tie heroines into it. It would be like going to a bowl game or something at, at Disney World. <laughs> so you'd have all that. Yeah, exactly. that. That is that is a great find. That is a great find. And what you'll be able to do with it. Hotel. Yeah, they're building a hotel with like with the with the uh, tunnel that connects the hotel to the to that arena. So when they get that finished, it's going to be really nice. Oh wow, wow! You cannot beat your timing. Right, exactly. Yeah. All right, so Gardner, let's backtrack a little bit. So, I want listeners to know a little bit about your story. So, you graduated from NC State, and before there was pain boxing or there was boxing for you, what did you do? So, I graduated from NC State and. Um, I actually did had an internship when I was there working for Governor Jim Hunt, at the time Governor Hunt. So I got out of school and um, did a little bit of a stint with the work for United Way. I was in communications and public relations, but then got rehired in the governor's office to be a speechwriter. So I got in, so I, I, I was working in the government as a speechwriter for Governor Hunt and sort of and got thinking about government and politics and that sort of thing. So that inspired me to go back to law to go to law school so i went to uh, law school at campbell um it was in Bowie's creek dennis and raleigh now so i was in graduating in 2001 so i worked a few years in between undergrad and um, law school so i got a law school i was a lobbyist and i worked for a large law firm a top 30 law firm in the world and we had a lot of big corporate clients and it was it was fun it was thrilling there was a, a lot of going a lot of excitement but you know Lobbying can wear and tear on you too. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of early, early mornings, a lot of late nights. It's not very conducive to uh, raising a family, and I and I had a young family at the time. So, a high school friend and I and I decided that we were going to go out and start our own company that invested in and helped start and operate other small businesses. So, that's what I was doing for the longest time. And 
during that process, a former business partner that I had, um, who actually introduced me and you, um, he, his son was a boxer, or stepson, and he came to me and said, hey, man, why don't we, you help me promote this fight in Wilson, North Carolina. And you'll remember, it was a huge success. I mean, it was yes. packed. Yes. I, don't, I don't know how many people were there, but it was the fire, the, you know, the fire marshal was turning, turning everyone away. Um, <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, so we had some of the best, you know, a lot of the big names in North Carolina fighting on that card. I mean, I think at that point, almost every big name. So it was a huge success. And I had never really been around boxing. I loved sports. But I didn't know that much about boxing. But something about boxing that just has this bug that bites you. You you know all about it. And I did. I, I realized that night I really wasn't cut out for the promotion side of things. Um, that's not really my wheelhouse. But I did enjoy the the management part. I did enjoy getting to know the boxers and hearing their stories and learning about sort of their their life and. And, I, and, and helping them chase their dream. I was like, man, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to be a part of this side. I want to help find young fighters and help develop them and help support them, you know, use my experience as an attorney and, and, and life experience in general and help these young guys and women grow and de- chase their dream of being world champions. So I signed my first fighter here in North Carolina and um, just learned a lot of expensive <laughs> hard lessons along the way, but started slowly growing pain boxing, and now we represent um, some boxers here from North Carolina, Kelvin King, um, Jose Ibarra, but we also represent a lot of guys from Argentina, some guys from Argentina, from Puerto Rico, from the Dominican, um, and, it's just, and it's just grown. We have a camp now in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where we train fighters that are going to, that are fighting on Showtime on pay-per-view on the biggest stages. Um, Jason Rosario, for example, trains there. So um, Alberto Puello, who's uh, the number one ranked uh, super lightweight at, uh, by the WBA. So, yeah, we have a lot of folks that come and train there, and it's just, it's just you know, taken off, and we're really excited about it. Okay, okay. Now, at the time you were working as a lobbyist, you talked about the grind. Can you compare the grind as a lobbyist to being a boxing manager? <laughs> Man, so a lot of it is similar, and I'll tell you, being a lobbyist probably helped, not probably, it helped me prepare for this. Um, I've, you know, I can read people a little bit, I think, better, and, and I can cut through some of the nonsense and BS uh, a little bit that, uh, that you find both in lobbying and politics, and unfortunately, you find that in boxing. You know, there's um, a lot of different characters in boxing, so... It's a different grind, but I think lobbying helped prepare me prepare me for this. Um, as far as just you know, for example, we're really close to uh, November seventh for this fight. So probably the past six, seven weeks, just been you know working seven days a week preparing for this. And, and a lot of lobbying in the General Assembly is short periods of time like that, six, seven weeks of just intense work while the General Assembly is in session of working them early, early mornings till well past midnight and get up the next day and doing it again. So a lot of the same hours are from lobbying to, to, to help them prepare for fights are, are, are very similar. And again, just, you know, sometimes, you know, you meet, I've gotten to meet big names in boxing and I don't think I'm as starstruck because working in government and working with, uh, 
governors and um, you know I've met a couple of presidents so you sort of gain some confidence there and talking to folks at that level so I think that's helped me as well oh wow that's that now that's great that's great so and then just sticking to the lobbyist thing so when you hear people speak about lobbyists now is there anything that you hear that is so far from the truth about a lobbyist or actually done by a lobbyist that it upsets you i think people think lobbyists have more influence than they really do i mean i think there's this perception that all lobbyists do is go out and drink a lot and with with elected officials and and party with them and 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 socialize them and wine and dine them and give them lots of big checks and you know not saying that was didn't happen way back when but there that doesn't happen anymore i mean all the transparency and all the rules and all the laws that are in place really prevent that from happening and you know it's um a lot more of a grind than people realize it's not this a lot of people say oh that must have been fun and, you know you know just again just thinking you're whining and dining but that's not that's not the case at all there's a lot of shoe leather that goes into it that you're just walking the halls you know, waiting for hours at a time for a legislator or an elected official to meet with you and then having to to, to get your point across in maybe 15 or 20 minutes, if that, or whatever time they have. Oh, wow. um, you know, for instance, in North Carolina with our legislature, only the top leadership people have staff. So most of the legislators just have a, a part-time receptionist. But there may be in any given leg, elect, uh, legislative session, there may be 2,000, 2,500, 2,600 pieces of the legislation introduced so the legislators don't have a lot of time there's not a lot of staff to go through it and you know you have 15 20 minutes to really meet with someone and get your point across in a very succinct and effective way so um you know there's a lot of just sitting a lot of a lot of preparation that goes into it and having to be on top of your game all the time so it's not a lot i don't think it's as glamorous as people people realize but Okay. There's a lot of late nights, a lot of a lot of early mornings, and it's a tough, tough business to to raise a family on. But there's a lot of great guys that, and women that do it and are, are very successful. Okay. What is the craziest thing that you've had to do to gain someone's attention when you were a part of that? <laughs> what is it? Man, so that's a great question. I will tell you, I so when I first started lobbying, now I will admit, that was in a time when there's not many rules and not many laws, and there's a, it was a lot more whining and dining back then. When I, cause that, but that was, you know, a long time ago in the 90s. Um, but I remember having some clients in from out of town, and they're from they're from Detroit. They were a car a car company, car manufacturer. And we were trying to meet with these legislators, and so we're going to go to Ruth Chris. We said to meet them at like seven o'clock. Well, seven o'clock rolls around; they're not there. Seven thirty, eight o'clock, eight thirty, they're not there. Finally, like at nine o'clock, they show up. They'd already been with a, some other lobbyists to another dinner, so they got to our dinner. They all ordered dinner to go. Plus, they made the the restaurant restaurant Ruth Chris give them their nice silverware to take back to the hotel room. So just having our client understand that this is sort of the norm was a little embarrassing, but you know we got their attention, we got our point across, we made our argument. I think we were pretty successful with it. But okay, but, you know I've gone to people's 
hometowns. If I couldn't get them in Raleigh, I would drive to their hometown, just go to where I, I would find out, you know, where they had, where they like to hang out and just pop up and just do whatever you had to do to, to get in front of someone. Okay. Okay. All right. That's well, sounds like you were made out to be a boxing manager. So hey, you want to I, thing too. during my time lobbying, I've worked with both Cal Cunningham and Tom Tillis, both of the guys that are now running for the U.S. Senate. I had an opportunity to work with them, to, to, to work with both of them in the political world over the years. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So these current races, you're very familiar with what's going on and who they are. It's interesting to see, yeah, it's just two different personalities. Sort of interesting to see they're both at this, at this spot. And, yeah, so it's, it's been very interesting to watch. Okay. All right. All right. So, yes, moving to the boxing manager. So what exactly does it mean to be a boxing manager? Uh, and I'll ask it this way. If your parents had to describe what you do for a living, how would they describe you as a boxing manager? Well, they would describe it as something way more glamorous than it really is probably. <laughs> but, you know, they just see the, they just see like the show box and showtime fights. I'm like, oh, this is what my son gets to do. But, um, you know, there's a lot of advising. There's a lot of, looking out for their best interest. I mean, I'll be, I'm going to be completely honest with you. With some boxers, there's a lot of babysitting. And, you know, some of that's not very fun um, with some guys. But with others, there's a lot of just um, – mainly you're always looking – How do you know, I'm always thinking, what's the best way to develop their career? So after we get through a fight, I'm always thinking, all right, now I'm, I'm working with our coach to see, okay, for our next fight, what should we be trying to do? Meaning maybe they haven't fought a southpaw yet. So let's try to get a southpaw that's going to really bring a lot of pressure because maybe the past couple of fights, they've been fighting with people that would sort of were running from them or were, you know, weren't very aggressive, weren't very were – more, were rather more defensive-minded. So we're always trying – I'm always trying to work with their coach um, – before and after each fight, the thing about what's next, like what's next, what's the best way to to develop this fighter for their next fight, to try to prepare them so when they finally do get that call to have a big fight, a big money fight, they're prepared. They've already seen everything. They've been in the battles. They've seen, you know, uh, Mexican styles and American style and Russian styles. You know, they've seen every every style of boxer, and they're ready for whatever can be thrown their way. So. A lot of what I do is just always thinking about what's next, like how can, what can we do to prepare. Um, and that also means between fights, you know, let's be strategic about this and figure out the best type of sparring we can get and where we're going to get the sparring. So um, that's a lot of it. And just you know, how do I continue to help them better develop their craft? So there's a lot of me working with the boxers, but I work very, very closely with the trainers. In fact, I would say – I talk to the trainers three or four times the amount of time that I talk to the, the boxer. Okay. Okay. But I think it's important. I mean, I think, you know, that's, you just got to keep developing them and helping keep them, keep pushing the boxer and help, you know, defining like, you know, every boxer is going to have some, some weakness. I mean, no one's perfect. So 
how do we improve on that? You know, how do we keep developing? How do we keep building them? Awesome. All right. Now, I've been fortunate enough to see you with your boxing manager's hat on. I can't speak for other managers, but you've always shown a deep personal care about the fighter's well-being. And that, to me, is something that really stands out. To me, it shows, you know, how, how, why you've been recognized in the sport. But at the end of the day, it's still a business. So how do you balance the business side and the actual caring or friendship side? Man, you know, sometimes I've let my heart get in the way of the business side. And, I've, and you know, some people say I need to do a better job of that. I mean, I... I get some, actually some heat from some heat from people, my peers, managers, and different promoters by saying maybe I get too emotionally involved. But that's what drove me to the management side in the first place was I was just captured by the stories of these boxers and um, and wanted to be a part of like of, of how I can make their lives better and how I can chase their to chase their dream. In fact, there's one boxer that I work with. I won't name names, but he grew up in a very very poor country. They lived in a house, not really a house, that had three walls and then a tarp for the front. There's three generations of people in this one room, and they used the restroom in a paint bucket. And, you know, oh. that story, um, that, you know, just captured me and drew me into, hey, man, I've got to do what I can to help this guy succeed. I mean, you got to be a part of just, let's give him an opportunity and see how far he can go with it. But... I have let my heart at times get in the way of making the best business decision. I think I got a, there's a balance that you have to strike. And and I'll be honest with you, I think I did a disservice to the boxers at first because I, I, I would give them too much. I would, if they wanted something, I would just do it. And I would, if you wanted this, okay, I'll, I'll get you that. If you want that, okay, I'll get you that. And it wasn't good for them and it wasn't good for me. It didn't, they didn't stay hungry enough. Um, and they didn't challenge themselves enough. So I learned that it's actually in the boxer's best interest if I hold back a little bit and, and keep challenging and making things challenging for them. It keeps the boxer hungry. It keeps them on their toes. It keeps them really pushing for their dreams, pushing themselves harder. So um, I think by actually being a little bit more business-minded, it's actually helped not just help my my business and my pocketbook, but it's actually helped our boxers be more successful. Okay. Okay. That's really good. So what has been the most surprising thing that has happened to you as a manager or being in the sport of boxing? Well, the most surprising thing to tell me, you know, I was shocked when TYC called and, wanted to start the paint boxing series. I knew that we were making a lot of progress, but I thought, you know, I was really surprised and really excited about that. Um, you know, I'm, I'll, when Jason Rosario came to train at the paint boxing facility, that was a huge surprise, a huge shock that we had gotten on their radar. And mainly that's not because of me. That's because of our head trainer down in Fort Lauderdale, a guy named Chiro Perez, who has worked with over 20 world champions and um, he has a great reputation. I just happened to be along for the ride. Um, but okay. I was, you know, I was excited, I was excited about that. I mean, um, 
What's the biggest shock? You know, I think one of the things that shocks me is the number of fighters out there, not just not really my guys, just watching the watching the industry that don't want to fight. I mean, that are happy with being you know, big fish in a small pond, so to speak, that, you know, they work, they maybe build up their career to be 11, 12, 13, 14, no, but they haven't fought anybody with a winning record, and then they're afraid to step out. Like, I just don't know. That was shocking to me. I thought everybody was going to, when you, if you had an opportunity to, to jump into the, on the, in, in, in front of the world and, and, and give it a shot, that I thought there'd be a lot more of that. But there's a lot of okay. guys who are just timid. They don't want to do it for some reason. All right, all right. And then before we get deep into this pain boxing series, have you ever felt the boxing game became too much and wanted to just walk away? Yes, yeah, man. I, I'll admit to you that that has happened a couple of times. That it's just got to be. Sometimes it, um, it was overwhelming, you know. Just you know, in boxing, you know. Boxers have to have these have to have, they have to have a platform. So they need to be with a promoter, a major promoter, or either have some kind of platform. Now, like the Pain Boxing Series, if they're truly gonna make that next step, and there got to be a point where we were right in the middle of our grown period, and I didn't feel like we were getting the looks our fighters were from the major promoters that they needed. And it was overwhelming because I had all these boxers here signed to paint boxing that were dependent on me, and we were having to keep them busy, which is an expensive endeavor. And, yeah, so there's been a couple of times during that that I was like, you know, I don't know, maybe this is, you know, I don't know, maybe this, maybe this has run its course. But, you know, as that was happening, things clicked. And, for instance, we had some guys sign with Samson Promotions, and we had some other uh, other promoters look at some other 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 boxers in the pain boxing series came about, so it, you know, I, I I could breathe a little bit, and you know, and but to be honest with you too, during COVID, at times I just wondered. I mean, I don't know how this is going to play out, and um, it maybe you know it's caused a lot of sleepless nights. Gotcha. So I think COVID, gotcha. whatever field you're in, and whether you're a teacher or a boxing manager, or I think COVID's had that effect on everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. So the pain boxing series, I know you touched on it a little bit. Um, so TYC, they contacted you. So what was the original concept for it? How has it evolved? And then also talk about your partners and the partnerships that have brought it all together. Well, you know, one thing I forgot to mention before was Early on in my boxing, and I and I can't believe I forgot to mention this. Um, I got hooked up with, I met Christy Martin and her company, Christy Martin Promotion. So, Christy and I partnered together to do a lot of fights. We've done them in Charlotte and different places in Florida. And Christy has been huge for me and huge for pain boxing. And I would be honest with you, during those times when I thought, has this run its course? Christy's always been there um, with an arm around my shoulder and some great advice to help, help lead the, help us lead the way, help lead, help lead the way for pain boxing and help us see the correct path to go. So I've been very blessed to have good friends like you 
know, like with Christy Martin, with our trainer Chiro Perez down in Florida, who have taken me, who didn't know much about boxing, and helped, you know, guide me down the right way, the, the, the correct path. So it's been a huge blessing. So um, we've had a bunch of – Christy and I had a lot of successful fights, and they're competitive fights. And I started signing uh, – I, I started signing them by, probably by luck at first, um, one or two guys from Argentina. And so I signed a guy named Marcos Escudero, um, who was on the Argentina national team. He fought the Pan Am Games. And then he introduced me to one of his uh, national teammates, um, Alberto, Alberto Palmetta, who represented Argentina in the Olympics. Um, Alberto is now number nine in the world, ranked by WPA. Um, and Alberto then introduced me to some of the, his, his teammates. So I started signing them. And... Um, I really feel like I have – Alberto is definitely the best boxer in Argentina, in South America. And I think the other guys are right there behind him. Um, and, I, and I just signed a guy named Marco Suelo, who is probably the hottest amateur in Argentina. So when, it made a lot of sense, I think, for TYC to come approach me about starting the Pain Boxing Series, given that they have 8 million viewers in, South, in Argentina alone. So they came to me and wow. said, hey, you know, let's, let's uh, start this series. We'll start out at every other month, and let's hopefully grow it to being one fight a month. And so that's so they, so they we know we had to work through the red tape this spring, and we signed a deal, and um, Daytona was our first fight. And, you know, I think given the restrictions of COVID, uh, we did, you know, we pulled it off on August 15th, and it was you know, a great show. And, you know, they wanted to do one again in September, but – you know, I needed a little bit of time, so we, you know, we've got the, we we were originally scheduled in October, um, because of some COVID stuff, we had to move it, and fortunately, fortunately, we did because we were able to get the Rock Hill uh, Sports and Event Center in in, in November, so that that worked out okay. for us too. Okay, all right, and so you do the first show in Daytona in August. What, as far as COVID, how did that? How was it different? from other shows that you've done in the past? Well, first off, and I mean, the, the, the initial challenge is you're not allowed to have as many people um, <laughs> that you normally would have. So in, we had a 9,000-person um, arena in Daytona, and we were limited to like 200 people. So there's, you know, there's a challenge of having to, you know, how are you gonna, how are you going to give out who's going to get the 200 tickets. And, um, but the other challenge is keeping everybody, the, the biggest challenge, I guess, is just keeping everyone safe, making sure that the right protocols are in place at the event as far as keeping people distance, making sure everyone's wearing a mask, checking temperatures, um, coordinating, keeping all the boxers sort of quarantined once they get to Daytona and, and which is a challenge with the weigh-ins because, you know, boxers traditionally have all just hung out at the weigh-ins. Um, so just keeping, okay. uh, keeping a schedule for that, um, making sure they got the Daytona safe and healthy and they didn't show up COVID or get, you know, so it's just working with the boxers and their team um, provides another layer of preparation that you normally wouldn't have before okay. a fight. Okay. All right. Yeah, that that must be another added stress 
I can only imagine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, look, look at this right. fight here in November. So the main event, Alberto Palmetta, Carlos Gorham, and then, you know, so they're the main event. You know, that's the one, the number nine boxer in the world versus a guy that's, you know, 16 and 5 and a really aggressive come-forward fighter they were going to put on an incredible show. Two days ago, we get a Carlos's COVID. So fortunately, we were, had planned for that, and we had, for each of our main fights, we, have, we had backups for each weight class. And we had, we were, they were training, they were preparing as if they were going to fight. Now, if they hadn't mm-hmm. fought, we had to compensate them in some way. But we were able to have a guy named Saul Coral, who, who's from Mexico, who's 35, I think 35 and 12. He was already prepared and, and ready, so he, he just stepped right in. So he's fighting Alberto. So those are things that you normally don't have to do during a regular fight. You don't ever have backup fighters. Backup, yeah, that's huge. We, 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 have, we have to have that for our top fights in case someone got in case someone came down with COVID, so we could just slide somebody right in. Um, be, and, and, and because we're on such a big stage now with TYC. You know, they've already scheduled. They've been promoting it for a month on their television network, and and so we can't just cancel that fight. We have to – that fight has to go on. So we have – Alberto has the fight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we have somebody from an Argentina fighter ready to step in if Alberto – something happened to Alberto. So we got to look. Okay. You know, we have it – the box, the, the I's dotted and T's crossed in, in both respects. And, right. you know, the, you've been around boxing. That never happens. And you, without COVID, no. you never do stuff like that. But, no. Yeah. Now, do you – okay, so COVID goes away. Are any of these practices things that you think that will continue on in the future to, you know, so you don't get a guy on short notice and you don't have to have that story or you have to cancel a fight. So are these things and – and I know financially it's, it's strenuous, but will some way – is there a way to build some of this stuff in so that it will improve boxing in the future? I think so. I mean, I think COVID has changed the way we're all going to live our lives forever. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't doubt if you see people wearing masks now just during flu season. Um, but, I mean, I think, I think definitely with these big fights, it's going to be – I think the, the, the concept of having, say, a backup fighter is, makes a lot of sense. Um, you just alluded to it. Normally what would happen was either the fight would get canceled or you'd have to find someone that would just take the fight on a t- two- or three-day notice. And, you know, mainly when that happens, it's not going to be a good competitive fight. I mean, because that person probably isn't prepared or probably had to drop a ton of weight um, really, really quickly, or they were a much smaller weight class and had to gain a bunch of weight in two or three days. So either way, it's a recipe for disaster 99% of the time. So I think having in these major fights, having someone on a call makes a lot of sense um, for the quality to preserve the quality of the show um, for the fans. So I think that's a concept that could that could carry on. I think also during like the flu seasons and things of that nature in the winter, you know, spacing mm-hmm. out the the, the weigh-ins and and uh, some of the safety protocols as far as having some social distancing is probably not a bad idea either. I mean, you know, you don't really hear that many that much of guys catching the flu right before fights, which you do on occasion. And if you can do some, some different things to, to prevent that from happening, you might, why not? Okay. Okay. Good. But Good. I do want to get the fans I, back. <laughs> I, do, I, I am looking forward to when there's a time that we can have 
sold out sold out Verena's. I mean, this place in Rock Hill, I'm telling you, it is just like for folks who follow college basketball, it's like Cameron indoor state Cameron or it's like Reynolds or the old Carmichael at UNC. I mean, it's small and the stands are right on top of the ring. It would be Yes. It's gonna be a cool, cool uh place when when we can get it when the it's cool now it's gonna be really cool when we get the fans back in there yeah that wild intimate setting so you you can't beat it like you <laughs> said like cameron indoor the old reynolds i mean when, yeah. when people they get excited about the sport there's nothing like it it gets loud it gets crazy so if if rock hills anything like that and you guys pack it out when it's time it, it could be real interesting and it could be a fun place to bring people from all over that's right, man. You know, if if nothing else, when at the end of the day, when if if I retire at some point from boxing, I would hope that two things I've done is one helped improve some of these young guys' lives and gave them the opportunity to chase a dream and and just give them the opportunity to be on the main stage and have the opportunity to 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 have their dream fulfilled. And then secondly, I really want to restore credibility i want to be a part it's not just me i want to be a part of a group people like yourself and christy and others to restore credibility in boxing in the carolinas i mean and um i just think that having arenas like this rock hill sports event center could create this you know this aura about it and, and, and it could help it could be a piece of the puzzle and and doing that Okay. Okay. That's funny. You said, I was going to ask you, what is the why of pain boxing? And also why November 7th is such a big event for you and, and for the Carolinas? Well, you know, for the while, like I just said, I mean, I've told my wife this too. Like we, you know, we make a big investment in pain boxing. I said, you know, at the end of the day, you know, say this, the worst case scenario is we helped, you know, a lot of young men and maybe some young women, well, we don't represent them right now, but I would welcome that opportunity. We've helped them improve their, their, their plight, and we've helped them chase a dream. And I think at the end of the day, all the boxers we work with, whether they become world champion or not, I think they're going to be better off because of this process, and they'll go out and get other really good, meaningful jobs if they, if they aren't world champions. I think we do have some, some that are, have the real potential to be. But I think we can help some folks along the way. And then, two, like I just said, I mean, I really want to be a part of the effort. I can't – I'm not not saying I can't – there's no way I can do that alone or we even think I have the ability to do that alone. But I think I can be a part of the team of people uh, like yourself and Chrissy Martin and, and others that could restore a lot of the credibility to boxing in the Carolinas. So, I mean, that's why, that's the, why I'm doing this and – and why I think November 7th is such a big deal is I really think this is, to me, I, at least since I've been in boxing, this is the biggest show uh, as far as quality of boxers and competitive matches to be in the Carolinas since I've been involved in it. And I think it's something that we could build on and keep bigger, building bigger and bigger. I mean, I, the next fight we do here, I want to have a major belt on the line, uh, you know, a big, a big belt. That the folks are fighting for it, mm-hmm. so I think it's, this is laser groundwork or something just to build on and 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 create bigger and bigger fights here in the Carolinas. Okay, okay, 
All right. So we both know the reputation of boxing in the Carolinas. And I always tell people, look, Smoking Joe Frazier was from South Carolina. Sugar Ray Leonard was from North Carolina. Yet we have the poor, at at best, a poor reputation. So, you know, when you go places and you hear that, what goes through your mind? Are you frustrated? Are you angry? Or are you just like, you know what, I just want to fix this, like you said? Well, I mean, a little both, but you're exactly right. And we've had some big names. I mean, even like Calvin Brock and others. I mean, we've had some great fighters. And you look right now at NCAA rosters, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. They're littered, littered with North Carolinians and South Carolinians. And, you know, we, we have a lot of great athletes. Um, in this area, and there's no reason we shouldn't have the top boxers. So, I mean, part of the reason, I think, is regulation, and that maybe I think that's how my lobbying can, can really come into play. But I think we make it too easy for people to become professional boxers. You can just – you could be walking down the street today and, and go to the, the either North or South Carolina Biking Commission and apply for your license and get it, whereas a state like Florida – you have to have a certain minimum of, of amateur fights. They do that to preserve the quality, but they also for the safety of the boxers. I think just some things like that could help because as of right now, promoters from all over the country send their boxers to the Carolinas to get easy wins because they can just go grab somebody off the street or, you know, anywhere and, 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 and say, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a couple hundred bucks, go get your uh, boxing license and, and, and box in two days. And okay. that's sort of the reputation they have. I mean, so I think there's some things from a regular, regulatory standpoint that as a, as a government we can do to improve that. But then as people just in the industry, we've got to, we've got to all collectively to say, hey, man, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to put together a lot more competitive fights and challenge each other. And it's going to be better for boxing, but it's going to be better for the boxers. Like right now, our boxers have that mentality. Our best boxers have that mentality of they shouldn't fight each other. They should only, you know, fight guys losing records or you know people with no wins. And they're not challenging anyone, and they're not challenging each other. And other states, you know, Philadelphia, the best are fighting the best because they want to be they want to be seen as the best in in, in Philly, you know, or you know, in, in Pennsylvania or. Down in South Florida, they're all fighting each other because they want to be considered, hey, I'm the best in South Florida. And you see that in other parts of the country. You just don't see that here. Mm-hmm. And, and yes. People think they get one loss and, oh, my gosh, their career is over. There's, in the grand scheme of things, if you're 10-0 or 10-1, who cares? There's not, there's not much difference in that. As long as the one loss was a competitive loss or whatever, I mean, most people – for instance, Alberto Palmetta, he's 14-1. He has a knockout. He's, he was knocked out, but he's ranked number nine in the world by the WBA. You know, you can get over a loss. Jason Rosario was knocked out and then became a unified mm-hmm. champ sometime later. So these boxers can't be afraid to take a loss. I mean, you know, you have to challenge yourself and go for it. And if you get a loss, you get a loss. You just, you just, you know, you, you start to rebuild after that. Okay. All right. All right. So... <laughs> We both know the North Carolina Boxing Commission is in disarray. So, and yeah, you kind of touched on it. So, if you were, if you were commission king for a day, what is one change that you would make to improve North Carolina boxing immediately? 
if I was commissioner, the first thing I would do is have a, a, a minimum number of amateur fights that you had to have before you became a professional boxer in North Carolina. I mean, I think that's out of the safety of that athlete, and I think it also improves the quality of boxing, and it won't and it'll stop people from coming into our state thinking they could just use up our people and just, you know, like I said, grab somebody who's never boxed before, throw them a couple hundred bucks and box them that night and, you know, to get, it, to get an easy win. But I worry that someone's going to get hurt or killed in, in North Carolina right under our current rules because there's some really, really strong, uh, talented boxers, men and women, that come here from all around the world. And yes. you have somebody who just comes with no training and just, you know, you don't know where they, you know, how they've been eating, how they've been, you know, what their sleep habits are, what, they're, what they've put into their body, and now and they just walk into the ring for the first time fighting somebody who's had 300 amateur fights, you know. And, and in these other countries, you know, amateurs a lot of times are fighting with no headgear. I mean, these guys and women have a lot of experience. And so I think it's, it's a safety measure, and it's also going to improve the quality of boxing, too. Okay. All right. So. But also, the other thing I do, I do that, and the other thing I do, I would start, I'd have state belts, real real sanctioned state belts, so a state heavyweight champion, a state cruiser, so, you know, state light, so maybe that would encourage some of our guys and, and, and females to fight each other if they could have a real, a real belt, a real state title. That might, you know, that might incentivize some folks to, to mix it up a little bit. Okay, all right, great ideas, great ideas. At some point, we hope someone is able <laughs> now to get a commission. If not you, <laughs> yes, exactly. Now we just now have we a commission now. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. So it's the elephant in the room. Every North Carolina promoter, manager, and fighter, they always say. I'm going to change boxing in North Carolina. It's going to be the best ever. I, I was part of a group that did that. That's how I met you. But right. what can what can, and what will pain boxing and the pain boxing series do to make North Carolina boxing or the boxing in the Carolinas to be respected nationally? Well, first thing I'm going to do, not first thing, but one day, I promise you this, when, the, when we finally have a commission – I'm going to put my lobbying hat back on, and I'm going to be up there really working hard to get some things implemented from a rules perspective that I think will improve it. But in the interim, you know, Christy Martin and I are going to continue to work together, I think, through the pain boxing series and, 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 and just other fights. And we're going to have hold fights in the Carolinas with competitive fights where we're going to challenge the boxers. We're going to give them opportunities to fight for world titles and for belts on our show and that, and, and we're going to bring attention as we have those fights here and, and, and the Carolinas, but I'm serious about that. We're going to bring world title by not just some local belt, but by the accrediting bodies, bring world title fights to the, to North Carolina. And I think we can do that through the pain boxing series um, in short order. I mean, I'm always been really aggressive, and trying to grow my companies and, and grow pain boxing, and I think we can. I think that's going to happen sooner than sooner than later. 
Okay. And then I think okay. if we do that, that'll challenge other promoters to to in turn have competitive fights. You know, mm-hmm. if we can all help raise, we'll collectively, you know, raise the the product that we're that we're giving to folks out here. Gotcha. All right. Now let, let's go back to November seventh. And, and talk about the card, because you have some amazing fights on it. So which fights are you mo- most anxious to see? Is there one that intrigues you, but you can't quite see how it will play out right now? Man, so the fight, one of the fights that intrigues me the most is, you know, my very first client was Marco Bailey out of Durham. We don't work together anymore, but I still respect Marco. I think a lot of Marco. I think Marco is a really, really good boxer when he's training seriously. And by all accounts, he's been training really hard for this fight. He's fight Marco's upside down in his, in his record. He's six and seven. But he has not fought bumps. I'll give Marco credit. He's fighting big-name guys. He's fighting, he's fighting on Fox Sports. He's fighting on ESPN. He fought um, Alberto Palmetta. He's fought uh, two really young, up-and-coming uh, guys in his weight class on TV. But Marco's fighting a guy named John David Martinez out of Miami, who is 11 and 2 and has a lot of hype behind him. You know, everyone thinks this is Martinez's fight, and but man, I really think that Marco can win this fight. I really think he can win that fight, and I think it. I think it goes the distance for the six rounds, and you know, I think that fight really intrigues me. I've seen Martinez fight before; he can really fight. But I know when Marco's being serious and training hard, he's got a great coach, and Coach Massey in Durham, and those two can do some special things together. I'm excited about that fight. Okay. Okay. All right. And then I'm also um, – there's a guy named – who actually fights for us, uh, Luke, Lucas Leon. He's um, super fly weight. He's fighting a guy um, – Fernando, Fernando Diaz out of California, who's five and one and one. Um, Leon is twelve and two. Leon is the only person to ever beat Joshua Franco, who's a world champion at that weight class, um, and he stopped him. Leon got knocked down in the first round, got back up, c- composed himself, and ended up stopping Franco. But Diaz, if you talk to Diaz, he doesn't think it's going to be a close fight. Diaz thinks he's going to walk through Leon. So I love it when people come, two fighters with that attitude, two fighters who think, hey, I want to, both of them think they're going to knock the other one out. I think, that's, I think that fight will go the distance too. I think, it, I think that'll be a really good, a really good fight. Yeah, that could be explosive. That sounds, that sounds interesting to me. That, that sounds really good. All right. So, and then you have two <laughs> amateurs who um, very anticipated. At least has Seawright uh, from Columbia, South Carolina. He's been mm-hmm. talking about a debut for a long time. He's gonna he'll be fighting, and then um, Marco Suelo from Argentina, who was on their national team. He was in the he was a silver medalist in the Youth Olympics. And Argentina professional boxers can fight on their Olympic team. He's already been invited to, to represent Argentina in the Olympics. Uh, I don't know if he'll do it or not. You know, we'll see where he is with his professional career, but. He's somebody that I think you'll hear a lot about over the next couple of years. So I think it'll, it'll be cool to have him make his debut here in Rock Hill. Nice, nice. All right. 
So, and I know your partner, Christy Martin, hates the one hit a quit of fights. And, and I know yeah. you feel the same way. Now, is there one fighter on the card with so much power that no matter who you put him in with, they can score a, a quick knockout? So I think I think Marco Suelo, I think he could I think he could he's got a bunch of power for a one twenty five. Um, you know, he's like five ten. The big dude. I don't know how people that size weigh that weigh that little. Um I think he I think he could be the one. I think that could be the one. I'm trying to I'm just looking back at the card. I mean, this card is just full of competitive fights. I mean, I'd be shocked if you have any just first-round knockouts. Maybe you will, but, I, I mean, it would be, be shocking. It's full of really competitive fights. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, you've, you've done the somewhat impossible and gotten a lot of – few of your fighters on national TV. And, you know, what was that like and how much work does it take to, to get them on a national stage? So, man, it was very exciting. My children were probably more excited than I was. I finally <laughs> did something they thought was cool. <laughs> so they were pumped up. It gave me some credibility here in my house. Um, but, man, it was, it was really good. So the very first time we had a fighter on TV was not one that was signed to me, but someone that trained at the pain boxing camp. So I did go to a couple of their fights um, on ESPN, um, one on the zone, um, uh, a couple two on ESPN on the zone, but and that was fun. But there was nothing like having someone signed to me fighting, and so we had two of our guys fight on Showtime on one night. Uh, one guy I think got robbed, uh, Marcus Escudero, and then mm-hmm. Alberto Palmetta came in as the B side and stopped stopped uh, the opponent, and that really helped propel his career and, and got him ranked and. Got him a lot, has gotten him a lot of recognition. So, man, it's a lot of work, a lot of just building relationships and gaining trust with um, those decision makers because everyone's trying to get there. Um, but the other thing right. is you can't be afraid. Your boxers can't be afraid to make that step. And if they get the, you know, there's not many opportunities to find on TV. So when they come your way, you have just to be prepare yourself and go and go for it if 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 you think you're ready for it and our guys were and it worked out and man it's been it's been really cool okay all right so there's a we have another guy Coronado what's that mm-hmm. no said, no we have go, a fighter, ahead. go ahead fighting I think on we'll have an opportunity to fight Frenchie Coronado who's another he's a 125 um, he'll be fighting at 122. Um, but he'll, he, I think we, he has an opportunity. We're talking to two really big networks about him fighting uh, in December, so hopefully that one of those will work out. Okay, okay, awesome. So there's, there's going to be a, a lot of young fighters listening. So what advice do you have for them? And also, if I'm a young fighter with, with potential, what do I need to do to participate in the pain boxing camp? So... If you, you know, the camp, if you, you can go to our website at painboxing.com and there's a page about the pain boxing camp and at the bottom there's a form to fill out if you're interested in attending the camp. Um, so just fill out a form and somebody will get back, you know, probably within a couple of hours 
uh, well within 24 hours uh, if you're interested in coming to the camp. Right now, it depends on um, who's at camp, uh, whether or not we can have folks come down. Because, for instance, if someone's fighting for PBC, you have, we have to limit who can come to our camp because they require a COVID test two days a week. So we have to limit the people that are there, and you have to you, everybody at the camp has to get a test. So you have to sort of have to limit who's there. Um, but if no one's, if there's no TD fights coming up, then we're a little bit more open to uh, having just um, anyone anyone come down. Um, so yeah, just go to the Pain Boxing website, painboxing.com, and go to the the camp page, and just you can read about it. And then if you're interested, fill out a form, and somebody will get back to you in in short order. As far as for young fighters, what I've seen is if you're an amateur, there's no reason to rush become professional. I mean, make sure you're ready. Make sure you have a lot of fights under your belt and a lot of experience finding a lot of different fighters. Come, come prepared. It's hard to learn. It's not impossible, but it's hard to learn as a, as a professional. It's, it's good to get a lot of experience as an amateur. Um, but if you're a young professional, then my, my advice is to be strategic and how you do your fights. I mean, always try to make each opponent serve a purpose, um, whether that be, hey, I want to fight someone, I want to fight a southpaw, or I'm going to fight a, a come forward guy, or I want to fight someone that's going to run from me. You know, if you have that luxury of having a manager and you can sort of pick and choose your opponents, you know, try to be, make every opponent mean something. Try to be strategic in how you do it. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so fans and listeners understand this. Now, we have the three-time North Carolina Manager of the Year, so you have the fighters, and we have the three-time North Carolina Promoter of the Year, so put on a perfect show. So why should fans feel safe about attending the fight November 7th? And what protocols do you have in place for fans and fighters and and that kind of good stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm like, do I want to go? Do I want – what do you have in, in, in place so that I'll feel safe coming to the fight November 7th? Well, here's the great news. It's a big facility, and we're limited with the number of people we can have in there. I mean, it's not even like – I mean, it's, it's, it's just a handful of people compared to what it can really hold. So every, if you come with your family or friends, then we're going to allow you to sit with your family or friends. But if, you, if you're not with your family or friends, you, you have to sit you know, at least six feet apart from anyone else you do not know. And we're going to have all those seats marked off, so you know, it's going to be very easy for folks to know where they can and can't sit. When you come into the facility, we have to take your temperature. And if you have a temperature, you're not, you have a fever, you're not allowed in. You're also required to wear a mask at all times. We'll have some masks for folks if you don't have one, but we're going to have people walking around making sure people are wearing their masks. And we're going to have hand sanitizing stations throughout, so folks will be very close to sanitizing their hands if, if, if they need to. But the Sports and Event Center has, they, they before the event, will have spray down all the seats, you know, all the bathrooms. will be perfectly clean. So it'll, when people walk in, it will be a very sterile environment for the, you to feel safe with. Um, you know, at the concessions, we're going to have, Everything marked off, so you have to be six feet apart uh, if you wanted the concession. So we're going to do our best to keep everyone, and we will do that. We'll keep everyone separated. They need to be separated from one another. And if someone has a fever, then they're not going to be allowed in. So it's going to be a safe environment to come, enjoy great, 
great night of boxing, really quality, top-notch, great boxers, and really competitive fights. Okay, okay. All right. Shameless plug time. Brag again about Pain Boxing, the Pain Boxing Series, your camp, your sponsors, and then where can fans get tickets or, or watch the Pain Boxing Series? Yeah, man, thank you. But first of all, thanks for having me on here. This is, you know, we've been friends for a long time, and you've helped get me into boxing and held my hand during boxing with a lot of great advice, and I really appreciate it. And you know, we're just extremely excited about offering the Pain Boxing Series on November 7th. Doors will open at 3 o'clock. The undercard will start at 4, so there will be about five or six fights from 4 to 6.30 of a lot of local fighters um, and, and really good competitive fights. At 6.45, the main card starts, and um, then that's when you're going to, you know, again, see some of the, the, the best fighters in the world fight and really competitive fights. Um, and so we're, if, you're at, if, if you want to go to the fight, you can go to Eventbrite to get your tickets. You can go to our website, painboxing.com, or you can visit one of our sponsors, which is Cure, K-U-R-E, CBD, and they're in, in, on Cinema Drive in Rock Hill and then the Arboretum if you're in Charlotte, to any, any three of those ways if you want to be in person. If you want to watch the fight, some TV packages have TYC Sports, so you can watch it there, but you could also watch it live streamed on TYC Sports Play. So that's going to be easy for you to, to find uh, just through you know, Googling or on their social media accounts. They'll have, they'll have okay. the fights as well. The undercard will be on the Pain Boxing social media and then at 6.30, uh, TYC will take over to, for them. So plenty of ways to see okay. it uh, in person or online or on TV. So we hope folks really would tune in. If you want to bet on your, on your favorite fighter, then you can go to betus.com, and if you put in the, the promo code BOX150, you get free money to bet with. But they're the official sports book of the Pain Boxing Series. And if you want to make things interesting, uh, you can go bet on some of those fights as well. That's, I'd encourage you to go look at that Marco Bailey fight because he's plus 300. So if you, you bet 100, he wins, oh. you get 300. So he's, uh, oh. that's, that, that's an interesting fight, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. might have to jump on that myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bet you would. Make sure you go there. You put in box, they'll have a promo code. You put box 150, and you, they give you you know, free money to, to, to bet with. Okay. Okay. All right. Excellent. Uh, Gardner, thank you. But before you go, we have to play a speed round. I'm going to throw some things out at you and you have to say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. All right. (laughs) You'll be fine. It'll it'll be easy. Okay. (laughs) So first thing, if you had another $100 million to spend on boxing with no red tape involved, how would you spend it? I would go build an apartment facility near my camp, and I would go around to some of the – I would spend all my time at, uh, at these big amateur tournaments looking for the, the next big fighters to come along. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Now – would you work with other promoters in North Carolina and under what conditions? Man, I don't think so. I mean, I've, Christine and I have a really good relationship. I think I'm a loyal person to a fault, and uh, I think I'm going to roll. I'm going to ride or die with Christy Martin on this one. Okay. All right. 
And what's the most important thing you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what has it been like after learning it? And how have you applied it to managing fighters? So, you know, when I was in high school, I made stupid decisions. I was a knucklehead, and I'm not really sure why, because they're great parents. But I was, I, I used to be guilt-ridden with some of the decisions I made and being such a knucklehead. And I remember one time I was telling my grandmother about it, and she's like, you know, you're not judged on the decisions you made. You're judged on, you know, how you react. Do you pick yourself up? And, and do you improve yourself from decisions you made? So she told me that, and it really changed my life, that I just, from that point forward, was like, you know, you just, you just gotta, you know, you, you, need, you know, you can't, you can't concentrate or, or be too focused on, you know, past bad decisions. You have to, you have to, persevere and, and try to do what's right moving forward and make the right decision to do what's best moving forward. And and then so and that and then um, when I was at a pilgrimage where I met my wife, the the, the quote for that the pilgrimage was. The Bible verse that as you don't do least of these, you do unto me. And I try to live my life that way too, and be very intentional about how I spend my thoughts, my time, and and my money. So those two things have really, or what I try to, what I try, try, try to guide me in my day to day life. I think both okay. of those have helped me become a better manager because I think it, you know, helps me think about be intentional with with each one of these boxers. And you know, just and if they make a bad decision or I make a bad decision, hey, we can't dwell on it. We just gotta move on and do what's best moving forward. Awesome, awesome. And then finally, just one more time with your social media and where they can buy tickets. Yep. So Pain Boxing on Facebook and Instagram and um, and Twitter. Our pain, our website is uh, painboxing.com. You can get tickets at painboxing.com or Eventbrite or go to Cure CBD, K-U-R-E CBD, in Rock Hill uh, on Cinema Drive or at the Arboretum Shopping Center in, in um, Charlotte. That's the best way to get tickets. You can get them at the door, but we encourage you, because we have limited seating, we really encourage folks to get them in advance if, if possible. This is going to be a great night of boxing, and we just really hope that um, folks will come out and support it. You'll, you'll, you will not be sorry for doing so. Awesome. Well, Gardner Payne, always a pleasure chatting with you. I always walk away with one piece of knowledge. You, you always <laughs> do that for me, so I, I appreciate you, and I wish you continued success. And I will see you on Saturday, November 7th in Rock Hill, South Carolina, enjoying the fight. So thank you once again for coming on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Man, thanks. Thank you. I really appreciate you and appreciate your friendship and all that you're doing for boxing. And I'm the same way. I always learn something when I talk with you. So thank you. All right. Thank you. And we'll see you soon. All right. Go Wolfpack.